0: M. S. W. Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, February 21st, 2022. Today, a federal judge has rejected Donald Trump's motions to dismiss 1-6 civil lawsuits, finding they could establish a plausible conspiracy. Ellipse rally organizer Katrina Pearson did not invoke her Fifth Amendment right when testifying to the 1-6 committee. The National Archives has confirmed in a letter to Congress that documents stolen by Trump and taken to Mar-a-Lago did include classified information. A judge rules that oath keeper and charged seditious conspirator Stuart Rhodes must remain in pretrial custody. Epstein co-conspirator and model agent Jean-Luc Brunel was found hanged in his prison cell in his investigation into sex trafficking and raping minors. And Pence defends the RNC's January 6th resolution that called the attack on the Capitol legitimate political discourse. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. That could be the record, Dana, for the longest intro. It, it's it's close. We had it that other close. one. It was close.
1: It was absolutely as close. There is so much news in here, though, that I'm interested not only in reading but like learning more about from hearing you tell the, the story.
0: Yeah, and and usually when it's this busy of a news day or weekend, we, you know, we bump some stories, but there were too many important ones, and and I'm going to address them here. Before we get started, but I also want to tell you later in the show, I'm gonna be joined by George Conway to discuss his latest op-ed on how the walls may finally be closing in on Donald after years and years and years, decades really. You know, we, we read Mary Trump's book and he's just always gotten away with everything. But that might not be the case anymore. Now, Kim Potter, here's some just some headlines. Kim Potter has been sentenced to only sixteen months in prison for the murder of Dante Wright. I thought that was excruciatingly awful. Very big downward departure from the minimum sentence requirements. And with regards to the latest on the classified documents that Trump stole from the White House, with that congressional letter from the archivist Ferriero confirming to Congress that there were classified national security uh, documents, head over to the Mueller She Wrote podcast out yesterday for a deep dive that I do on that with Peter Struck. He knows what he's talking about. He's The head FBI agent on the Hillary email investigation. So he knows what's going on. And I encourage you all to read the Politico article about J. Michael Luddig, former judge, and the never before told story of Pence's January 6th argument. So Google that. Again, we simply didn't have time for it today, along with other news that Jeffrey Epstein co conspirator Jean Luc Brunel, complete gross asshole, was found hanged in his prison cell. No other details on that, other than he was found dead. So you might want to Google that story as well. Another another shift change. Maybe the cameras weren't working. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, not sure what happened. But with all that in mind, we do have other stories to go over. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. (laughs) All right. Lead story from the weekend comes from a 112 page ruling issued by Judge Mehta for the D.C. District Court in which he rejected an effort by former President Donald Trump to dismiss a series of lawsuits brought against him by Democratic lawmakers and U.S. Capitol police officers seeking to hold him liable for the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The ruling by D.C. District Judge Amit Mehta finds that the allegations in the suits, if true, could, quote, establish a plausible conspiracy involving President Trump and those who carried out the January 6th attack. And so basically what Judge Mehta is saying here is if these suits are allowed to continue, there could be shown that there was a conspiracy between trump proud boys oath keepers 3 percenters etc to impede by force uh you know uh, an official proceeding a congressional the congressional proceeding the, the count of the electoral vote and that's important because conspiracy makes you think they got together in a parking garage and talked about it but i'll I'll get into that in a second quote viewing the foregoing well pleaded facts in the light most favorable to plaintiffs and drawing all reasonable inferences in their favor, the court concludes that the complaints establish a plausible conspiracy involving President Trump. And based on that, of course, the judge denied Trump's motion to dismiss the case. Again, 112 page ruling. You should check it out if you've got, I don't know, probably about 15 minutes to read it. It allows part of three separate civil lawsuits brought by 11 lawmakers, including Benny Thompson, NAACP, Swalwell, two Capitol Police officers, to move forward against Trump. Now, Meta in the ruling removed Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani as defendants. They filed to dismiss the suit against them, and they were granted their motion to dismiss. And he additionally rejected any efforts by the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio to remove themselves as defendants because they are part of this conspiracy by force. Uh, you know, stop, impede Congress, impede that official proceeding. Separately, Meta said he would remove Mo Brooks as a defendant in the lawsuit. Brought by Swalwell. If Brooks gets off his ass and files an official motion to dismiss, he (laughs) hasn't done that. But he would dismiss it for Mo Brooks as well. So why are Rudy and Junior and Brooks given a pass here? What plaintiffs must plausibly establish is that Giuliani, Junior and Brooks conspired to prevent Congress from discharging its duties on January 6th by force, intimidation or threat. And according to the judge, they all fall short. The judge says the words trial by combat, for example, are not followed by a call to action. The same theory applies to Junior and Brooks, who made weaker statements. Their statements at the rally are considered protected speech by Judge Mehta. But back to Donald. According to Mehta, the allegations in the lawsuit, if true, could establish a plausible conspiracy involving Trump and those who carried out the attack on the Capitol, including the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. And here's what here's that pin that I stuck in there. Mehta says. Recall, a civil conspiracy need not involve an express agreement. That meeting in the garage I was talking about Mm -hmm. doesn't have to happen. So the fact that Trump is not alleged to have ever met, let alone sat down with a proud boy or an oath keeper to hatch a plan is not dispositive. A tacit agreement, one that is implied or indicated, but not actually expressed, is enough, Meta wrote. The key is that the conspirators share the same general conspiratorial objective or single plan the essential nature and general scope of which is known to all conspirators. So that things that come back to bite Trump in the ass, let's fight like hell, let's march down to the Capitol, all go with you. Because there's an action. Plan. And remember, yeah, remember when he said stand back and stand by? Yep. Yeah. You don't have to sit and have a, a written agreement saying, let's do this together. Meta said it's also plausible Trump knew there were militia and other far right groups descending on Washington that planned to commit acts of violence to keep him in power given how he and other top officials aggressively monitored news coverage and through his own public statements about the Proud Boys, as I said, telling them to stand back and stand by at the presidential debate. Meta also included his analysis whether Trump's speech on the ellipse prior to the January 6th attack could amount to incitement under legal definitions. And according to Mehta, Trump's encouragement to his supporters to fight like hell are plausibly words of incitement, not protected by the First Amendment. Quote, to deny a president immunity from civil damages is no small step he acknowledges. The court well understands the gravity of its decision, but the alleged facts of this case are without precedent, and the court believes that its decision is consistent with the purposes behind such immunity. Love it. I
1: really do love it. This feels like it's going in the right direction.
0: All right, next one up. We've got former Vice
1: President Mike Pence on Thursday defended the Republican National Committee's resolution to censure two of the party's members of Congress, saying that the declaration's reference to, quote, citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse mm. during January 6, 2021, the insurrection has been misinterpreted. Oh, we didn't mean what we, that's not what we meant. Mm. Pence, yep, who repeated his assertion that January six was a tragic, it was a tragic, oh, it was a tragic day, said he does not think that the RNC's resolution, which has been criticized by Republicans and Democrats, was, quote, talking about people that engaged in violence against persons or property that day. Instead, he said it was referring to a whole range of people that have been uh, set upon by the House committee investigating the riot.
0: Set upon.
1: Yes. (laughs) The defense made during Pence's Thursday evening appearance at Stanford University reflects the fractious divide in the Republican Party over how to talk about the attack on the U.S. Capitol. There shouldn't be a fucking divide which was carried out by, as we know, pro-Trump mob. Now, the resolution censuring reps Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, which passed overwhelmingly this month, by the way, sparked backlash among Republican senators who feared it would hurt the party in the midterms. Mm. Yes, now the RNC has since said it was not supporting violent insurrectionists, an assertion Pence echoed. Now, the Stanford speech organized by the school's college Republicans, Mark is first, I know. The Unfuckables. <laughs> it's the worst Disney movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Pixar, I think that would be Pixar, wouldn't it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's let's figure out where I was. Now this the Stanford speech, now as we said, was organized by the, the virgins of the Stanford, marked Pence's first high profile public appearance since he said two weeks earlier that the former president Donald Trump was wrong when he called for Pence to overturn the election results on January sixth. Now the right wing's reaction was swift and rancorous, led by Trump, of course, who called him an automatic conveyor belt to, quote, get Biden elected president as quickly as possible.
0: It's not one of those manual hand-crank conveyor belts. It was definitely, definitely automatic. Oh, absolutely. Semi-automatic conveyor belts. In, in Prepared
1: remarks and a Q&A session. <laughs> lasting nearly an hour, Pence sidestepped chances to reiterate his direct criticism of Trump, saying only that he is proud of what they accomplished while in office because he's a
0: fucking coward. Chicken shit, dude. Oh, my God. I was like, yeah, when he said that Trump was wrong. I could not overturn the election. It's un-American. And I'm like, all right, dude, welcome to the. Nope. 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 We're all proud of what we accomplished. All right, dude. <laughs> Whatever. This isn't going to help, though. Katrina Pearson, who is a former Trump campaign spokeswoman who helped plan the January 6th rally at the Ellipse, has answered questions from the Capitol riot panel. That's according to two people familiar with the matter. Pearson has detailed knowledge of the rally that preceded the attack. Detailed knowledge of that rally. The committee subpoenaed her in late September for documents and testimony. One group of 11 people, she was one of 11, who helped set up the Ellipse rally. Her interview with the committee came in the weeks after the subpoena was issued. That's according to one of the sources, so it's been a while. Pearson, in her committee interview, did not invoke her right to self-incrimination, known as pleading the fifth, according to one of the sources. The panel revealed last month in a letter to Ivanka, that it has obtained some of Pearson's text messages, hmm, noting she called some of the former president's supporters crazies. Pearson later tweeted that the crazies were the ultimate grifters in Trump's orbit. Interesting, because in that letter to Ivanka that, you know, the committee is now considering subpoenaing her, Mm -hmm. they just attached, you know, probably for no reason whatsoever, a copy of the communications to Ivanka reminding her that you know, you have to preserve all your text messages and, and communications as part of the Presidential Records Act. And so I wonder if this it was that was like sort of boosted by Pearson's testimony because Pearson had the text messages and gosh, the archives doesn't. Interesting. Interesting. She and another Ellipse rally organizer, Amy Kremer, who we've all heard about, publicly distanced themselves from others who have spoken to the committee, such as Dustin Stockton. Remember that guy? Mm hmm. We couldn't march to the Capitol. We didn't plan for that. That guy. (laughs) The panel had sought to ask Pearson about her reported meeting with the former president on January 4th, 2021. So if they asked her about that and she answered it, that'll be interesting because that's where Trump asked about a separate evening featuring fringe speakers like Ali Alexander and Roger Stone. In addition to organizing the rally, Pearson also spoke to the crowd in front of the White House on January 6th, boosting unfounded claims that the election was stolen. So she is talking and she did Probably before Christmas. I cannot
1: wait because I do think if she didn't take the fifth in this and they asked her questions, you know, there's a good chance they got more information that's going to be damning, which is wonderful. And uh, this is also a, a good news story, if you can call it that. A second federal judge has ruled that Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers militia group accused of seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack on the Capitol, is a, quote, clear and convincing danger who must stay behind bars pending trial. Now, Rhodes, 56, has been in custody since his arrest in January after a U.S. magistrate judge in Texas deemed him to be, quote, a credible threat to the public. Now, prosecutors say Rhodes has weapons caches and uh, unregistered cars stashed in multiple locations and that he saw January 6th when hundreds and possibly thousands of Donald Trump supporters overran police at the U.S. Capitol to block Congress from certifying Joe Biden's win in the 2020 presidential election. Saw that as quote, an initial skirmish or battle in a larger war, basically like we're just getting started. Mm. So prosecutors say Rhodes and other Oath Keepers plan to bring years of military experience and variety of weapons to support the pro-Trump mob, going so far as to prepare for ferrying a trove of firearms and other weapons across the Potomac. Now, this is a quote. My observation at this point is if the conduct alleged is true, The danger that it poses cannot be overstated, and that is also from U.S. Judge Ahmet Mehta. He said at the start of Rhodes' bond hearing Friday, signaling his intention to keep Rhodes behind bars. Now, Mehta said that the government hadn't convinced him that Rhodes is a flight risk yet, but they won on their argument that he posed a risk for future dangerousness, if you will, to the general public. He pointed out that Rhodes spent thousands on weapons and other equipment on the on the way to D.C., and that was ahead of January 6th, and that he also made, quote, substantial purchases of weapons after January 6th. Mm. Now, in a related story, on Saturday night, Zoe Tillman reported that Judge Mehta entered a minute order on the Oathkeeper docket, stating the court reluctantly grants the parties' joint requests for a continuance in view of the good cause established for postponement. Now, the court will set a firm trial date at the next status hearing. However, counsel should be aware that the earliest the court's schedule will permit is a four-month-long trial is at present, November 28th, 2022. So that's still months away. Now, this postponement is for the non-seditious conspiracy case that was set for April. The seditious conspiracy trial, that remains on docket for July, okay? So we've got Ken Benzinger. He reported that both the defense and the prosecution asked for this due. They asked for this due to the overwhelming volume of material that they have. And sources have told him that the DOJ really wanted this continuance because the defendants in the Oath Keeper's case are more sympathetic to potential jurors because they're older, more are female, and they clearly aren't leaders like Rhodes is. So that's why they really want to make sure that they have everything set up so that we don't lose this on a a jury
0: yeah and and so Rhodes and the seditious conspiracy thing is going to trial in July so far unless that moves again, and then they've postponed the rest of this you know conspiracy oath keeper thing you know from April now, possibly to November so the the judge actually said block out november twenty eighth to december twenty second on your calendars, everyone, for now, and when we'll see if we can set it up if ever if the parties agree, but this wasn't just this wasn't just the the oath keepers who wanted it, as you said, Dana the prosecutors really wanted this as well, too. So. All right. Coming up next is my interview with George Conway. And I know I know it's George Conway, but I want to tell Uh, you people are grumbling. Yep. They're already grumbling. And I weighed this very carefully and I kept landing on one unescapable truth. The next couple of elections are going to rely heavily on Democrats and Republicans working together to stomp out encroaching autocracy and we have to work together on things we can agree on. I do not agree with George Conway and Republicans on pretty much anything except this. So I'm not going to ask about his wife or the Lincoln Project thing or debate our stark differences in opinion on the Supreme Court nominees. Instead, we're going to discuss that which we, we can agree on. The walls are closing in on Trump, and we must all act to save democracy. He must be held accountable. Trump must be held accountable. So that is what we're going to discuss in a new op-ed out in the Washington Post by George Conway. So thank you. We'll be right back with that discussion. Stay with us.
2: After these messages, will be right back. Hey,
0: everybody, it's AG and The Daily Beans is brought to you today by Helix Sleep. You know how important sleep is. Proper sleep is essential to staying healthy and keeping your immune system boosted. I've struggled for years with insomnia, as you know. I thought it was stress at first, but that was part of it. But it also turned out I had a bad mattress. It was made for somebody with different sleep specifications. But Helix Sleep saved the day. They have an online sleep quiz you can take at helixsleep.com slash beans. And once you're done, they will match you to the perfect mattress that will give you the best night's sleep of your life. Uh, You can choose from a wide array of mattresses that you could be matched to. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Uh, If you sleep hot like I do, I get night sweats. They have body temperature regulating mattresses. Uh, And then if you wake up with aches and pains, they have spine alignment mattresses and they have a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers, all kinds of mattresses. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm bed. And thanks to Helix, I fall asleep easily. I sleep throughout the night and I wake up feeling refreshed. And Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews and as you know, they were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. The mattresses at Helix have 10-year warranties. You get to try them out for 100 nights risk-free. And they even have financing options available. So a good night's sleep is never far away. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. So you can replace your My Pillows if you have them. Uh, and that's at HelixSleep.com slash Daily That's HelixSleep, H-E-L-I-X, Sleep, H-E-L-I-X Sleep.com slash Daily for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. And joining me today is recovering lawyer by his own account, conservative lawyer, and uh, contributing columnist to The Washington Post, George Conway. George, welcome.
2: Thank you, Allison. Nice to be here.
0: It's really nice to talk to you. And uh, the reason I wanted you on is you just wrote this op-ed In the Washington Post. Now we disagree, you and I, on a great many things. Sure, I am, as I have said, a died-in-the-wool Democrat. But we do agree on at least one thing: that we need to work together to push back this autocracy, so we can get back to arguing about big government, small government, conservative. Yeah,
2: all the stuff, all the normal stuff that we can argue about in in a much nicer fashion and without. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm all for for that.
0: Now, your op-ed, Donald's luck may be running out, and you put you put out a very simple to understand, tweet about a letter that Mazars wrote and that the New York attorney general entered into evidence in her civil suit against the Trumps and the Trump organization. And uh, I I wanted to ask you a little bit about this because it looks like the walls may finally be closing in for for years. You know, we've been going through the, the Mueller report and impeachment one and impeachment two and nothing has stuck. So talk to me about why you think it's different this time or might be.
2: Well, it's different for a number of reasons. One is that he's finally being required to testify. Another is you have prosecutors that have been working on this for three years. And another reason is that, uh, the nature of the investigation now isn't just criminal. It's a there's a civil investigation in which, in some ways, is actually in New York worse. And let me explain that. The problem with proving white collar criminal fraud for prosecutors, um, particularly against individuals in big organizations, is that you have to prove that each individual who you charge, like a CEO acted with the requisite criminal intent. So you have to show that they knew all these details and you have to show, you have to explain all these details to the jury and you have to do it all by beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's hard to do because A, financial things are complicated and B, you have to have witnesses who can say, I I talked to the guy and I told him this. And then you have the compounded, you have a problem that's, that's compounded here by the fact that, you know, Donald Trump famously does not use email, and he tends to dispose of pieces of paper that he is exposed to, as we now know. Now, in New York, there is this incredible law called the Martin Act, which defense lawyers hate and prosecutors, you know, the AG, loves. And what it is, is it's, 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 a, it's a, there are these things called blue sky security statutes that are the state state law equivalent of federal security statutes, but this one is covers that but covers that more covers more. It has all sorts of you know it can be applied to all sorts of business activities including borrowing money and so on. And what's interesting about the Martin Act is it's very broadly written and it's a civil remedy and the remedies that the, that the attorney general can seek are quite broad. They can sh- basically shut a business down and they can, uh, they can, they can obtain huge fines. And why that makes a difference here is that they don't have to prove. And, th- and that's one reason is that they don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt what, what happened, but they also don't have to prove intent. Mm-hmm. This the requirement of specific intent that you have in the criminal law for you know, a criminal 10b5 securities violation. You don't have that. You just have to show they made a false statement. And you don't even have to show that they intended to deceive. If you make a false statement, for example, and you obtain securities, you, you, you sell securities with a false statement and you get money, you're, you're liable under the, under the Martin Act. Same thing with borrowing money. And that's the issue with Trump. Now, what makes it worse here is because it's a civil proceeding, he can be called to testify. He and his family can be called to testify. In a criminal proceeding, we have the Fifth Amendment, and the Fifth Amendment guarantees all of us the right not to be compelled to incriminate ourselves, which means you can't be subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury. If you're charged um, at a criminal trial, you're indicted and you're, you're being tried, the prosecution cannot call you to the stand. And If you don't, if you choose not to testify in your own defense at a criminal case, the prosecution also cannot say to the jury, uh, "Allison Gill, uh, she 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 did not testify here, and you know why? Because she's guilty." Can't do that. So, um, but in a civil case, if you 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 can be compelled to testify, you get you get the other side gets the the plaintiffs get to take the defendant's deposition. And they get to put the defendant on the witness stand at a trial. And the defendant can plead the fifth because you can't compel somebody to give criminal evidence that could be used in some other proceeding. But if they take the fifth in the civil proceeding, the jury or the judge, depending who the trial of fact is, can say, oh, I'll bet the answer would have been harmful to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Her negative,
0: negative inference.
2: Negative inference, which we, you and I kind of talked and emailed about. And so the, and you can argue to the jury, he, answered, he, he testified, he, he refused to answer the questions 500 times. Every time we asked him about the business, he said, I respectfully declined to answer uh, under my Fifth Amendment rights. And so what's happening here is all of these factors are basically screwing Trump. Mm-hmm. And what's in, in, in this civil investigation being conducted under the Martin Act by the AG, Eric Trump and Alan Weiselberg have both been called to testify, and both of them pleaded the Fifth Amendment hundreds of times at their depositions. And according to the defense lawyer who argued in last week's hearing for Trump, he's going to advise Donald Trump to do the same thing. And we will see whether whether Trump agrees to do that. But if you have a situation where you have a small family company, and essentially the three sons and the daughter and the chief financial officer, and then the patriarch, Donald himself, all refuse to testify, how, do you, how does the prosecution not win the case if there are false statements? How do, you, how do you put on a defense, leaving apart the question of the inference, how do they put on a defense? In this civil case where, where the prosecution only has to prove falsity, doesn't have to prove intent, and has to only prove falsity by a preponderance of the evidence and not beyond a reasonable doubt. It mm-hmm. can't put on a defense. And then you add in the fact that the prosecution would get to argue before the judge or the jury that you can infer that the, that the reason why Donald John Trump answered questions by invoking his Fifth Amendment 500 times, his Fifth Amendment rights 500 times, is because those answers were going to be extremely harmful to him. They were going to show that he committed fraud. Mm -hmm. The case becomes a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. And the relief that they can obtain against the Trump, they can basically shut Trump down. That's why I mean I, I didn't focus on the negative inference. I mean I referred to the negative inference piece of, of this in my op-ed, but my op-ed was really focused on the fact that the accountants withdrew. So this is a, this is actually could be another op-ed, <laughs> and may very well be. Um, but that's the reason why that's one reason why this is so much much different. The point I made in the op-ed actually is that even apart from that, if you just if the if the prosecutors went away right now today, he'd be in deep trouble from a business standpoint because his accountants realized that they were in deep trouble and realized finally, if, if they didn't know already, that the financial statements that Trump was putting out were not to should not be relied upon. And they said that and they quit on Trump, which is basically saying, you know, as I said in the op ed. Um, you're, by saying that you, you, you nobody should rely on these financial statements, they're basically saying Trump lied. By saying that um, under the totality of the circumstances they can't do any more work for Trump, they're basically saying these prosecutors are serious, and um, we're not going to go to jail for you. And so it's a it's, it, it's a, it that presents a problem even apart from what the prosecutors are doing because. Without these financial statements, it's going to be hard for him to refinance hundreds of millions of dollars of loans that are coming due over the next few years, like $600 million, I think. So, uh, you know, and, and who's going to work for him? Who, what accountant is going to say, oh, I'll, I'll take over these books? No, Nobody, nobody in their right mind. He like, can't even find decent lawyers, right? Remember that? That's why we had, that's why we had, um, you know. Uh, Rudy Giuliani kicking, floating around, and why we had these these clowns at the second impeachment trial, and you, you know Alan Thershowitz and, and and Sidney Powell. It's like the, no 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 decent law firm. I mean, you'd think a billionaire former president of the United States should they should have you know Cravath, Swain and Moore, and so Sullivan and Cromwell, and and Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher. All the best law firms in the country should be fighting over representing this guy, and they won't go anywhere near it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you know I you know this guy has problem six ways it's Sunday, and we in Sunday. And we haven't even talked about. He's got a, a grand jury in Georgia investigating that crazy call where he asked for 11,000 votes. We've got the January 6th committee and we've got this civil case uh, in the District of Columbia being brought by um, Swalwell and others. I mean, he, he, it's just incredible how many chickens are coming home to roost at Mar-a-Lago.
0: Yeah, and, and I wanted to ask you about that uh, as well, because Harry Littman, about just a, a couple of days ago, I believe it was Judge Meta who allowed, denied Trump's motion to dismiss the lawsuits, civil lawsuits against him filed by Swalwell et al., the NAACP, and Benny Thompson, and Blazingame et al. And he, and he took all three at once and said, All right, uh, Junior's off the hook. Rudy Giuliani's off the hook. Mo Brooks will be off the hook if he gets off his butt and files a motion to dismiss. I'll dismiss it. But Donald Trump himself, is on the hook for these lawsuits. And Harry Lippman says this could even be more disastrous than what's going on in the New York attorney general's office. Why would that be? Do you agree with with Harry Lippman's assessment there? And uh, because, I mean, if we get to discovery and deposition in these particular cases, then we're talking about the insurrection and he is on the hook for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's what's. The defense that he would invoke and try to invoke, and I haven't read the 115 page opinion, but I know a little about this because I know about this area of the law, is it's presidential immunity. And presidential immunity, the, the main case is a case called Nixon against Fitzgerald from the 1970s where basically the Supreme Court said that almost anything a president does that has something to do, anything a president does that has something to do with his job, anything within the, and this is the language they used, the outer perimeter of his official responsibility, anything touching upon his job, um, he can't be held liable for. And And the rationale is simple. What the president does affects hundreds of millions of people, billions of people around the world, in fact. And if you were to hold the president civilly liable for damages for any number of things, even if the you know even even just defending having to defend lawsuits, it would be impossible to do the job. And so the next time this issue came up was in the Paula Jones case, and there it was. There was it was nine nothing in favor of Paula Jones because the issue. Matter that was being litigated happened before Bill Clinton became president, so therefore presidential immunity couldn't apply and then again it came up in the trump uh, situation where they were essentially invoking it nixon against Fitzgerald or similar kinds of immunity to try to avoid the production of documents in to to the attorney general to the um district attorney from Mazars and the Supreme Court said no no, no, that doesn't you know, that doesn't that's not within the outer perimeter of official responsibility. The president doesn't have anything to do with his job. So therefore, it's not well, and I'm, I
0: keep thinking, George, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I keep thinking of the decision when Mo Brooks wanted certification from the Department of Justice to be represented in his civil lawsuit, the civil lawsuit against him. Department of Justice r- uh, wrote back and said, basically, go fuck yourself, uh, uh, because well, here's why. First of all, you were campaigning. That's our main number one reason. And that's not considered part of your job campaigning. That's outside the realm. But if the if the court decides that that's not a good enough reason, then you, Mo Brooks, nor any federal employee can possibly state that trying to overthrow an election or trying to overthrow the government can be considered part of your job, and so I see these threads between these two rulings. Right,
2: and and that's exactly right. The threads that—that's where the loop closes on Nixon against Fitzgerald and Paula Jones case. That whole line of presidential immunity—it's like he wasn't doing his job that day. He was doing the exact opposite of his job that day. And I didn't read Judge Mattis' opinion. I confess, I should have read it before this podcast. But um that's surely what he said, right? I mean, that's the point: is that if you are trying to overthrow the government, you're trying to basically overturn the Constitution. Well, that's not within the outer perimeter of the official responsibilities of the president of the United States, who is sworn to faithfully defend the Constitution and turn over the government when he fails to win the election. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so I, I, that's kind of where I was. I was like, aha, I knew there was a reason. Department of Justice said, Mo Brooks, you can't. Yep. Oh, and by the way, no other federal employee can. That was like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to. To Donald, if he wanted to apply for certification from Department of Justice, he wasn't going to get it.
2: Yeah. And, and, and this is also, you know, there's there's a tension here, right, with the Department of Justice. Department of Justice institutionally wants this presidential protection to be as broad as possible. Mm-hmm. So much so that the Biden Justice Department elected to continue to defend Donald freaking Trump in the litigation, you know, that aging mm-hmm. Carroll.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they gave several and, instances. You know, and they're, doing that, and
2: they're, they're doing it because of the institutional interest in you know, the president. Often has to defend himself against all sorts of accusations, and he might have to do it from the White House podium. That's their rationale. I disagree with that when it comes to an alleged rape that happened long before the guy became president. And I think it should be, you know, that should go into the Paula Jones mm-hmm. box.
0: Agreed, but I think they were focusing on the defamation, which is why they cited all sorts of
2: yeah, yeah, the defamation, and that was that's exactly right, the defamation. But but again. When you're saying when you're denying a charge that doesn't have anything to do with the office, I, don't, I honestly don't see why why you know the office gets to protect you. And, and the same, you know, that was an issue that was actually left open in the Paul Jones case because there was a similar kind of defamation claim in the Paul Jones case that never got right. there.
0: Something else, something else we agree on, George. I wanted to finally ask you because now went back to the the New York Attorney General's case and the Mazar's uh, letter, which which. The one that Donald Trump himself released when he sort of told on himself, because you know his lawyers filed a pleading in that case saying we don't know anything about brand values, we don't know anything about numbers, and we don't know anything about any of that. And then <laughs> Donald Trump puts out a statement a day later saying I know all about this, brand values are tremendous, uh, da, da. and then he releases this letter from Mazars written in 2014 saying basically, hey. We just put your financial statements together by the bullshit that you give us. uh, And and that limits the liability. And I had for for, for a very long time been looking for that letter. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that the Manhattan District Attorney kept going back to the Supreme Court to get the Mazar's documents, not for his tax returns. They have his tax returns. It's for all of the other accounting stuff, especially any letters that limit their liability. Yes. for any garbage that's handed to them. Yes. And by the way, they said from Trump himself, not the Trump organization, which I thought might come in handy later in the in the Manhattan DA's case. But, you know, going back to this New York Attorney General thing, 21 days to sit for deposition, 14 days to hand over documents, and Fifth Amendment doesn't cover documents as well as it covers correct. deposition. And um of course they'll they'll appeal, but I don't ama- how could this get out of the New York court system and into the federal system. Could it possibly? And are we in any kind of jeopardy of seeing the Supreme Court say that he doesn't have to be deposed? I doubt it. It's a long shot.
2: No, it's a it's a it's beyond a long shot. I mean, it's very fact specific. It doesn't have anything to do with the presidency, which is what would get the um, Supreme Court interested in it. And the law in this area is just settled. You can you know, you, you, you can come a a prosecutor using a civil subpoena can compel test. Eric had to testify. He couldn't get out of it. Correct. Eric had to testify. And, and if you have a problem because there's an ongoing criminal investigation, the solution is exactly what the judge in New York said on Thursday, which is you've got the fifth, you've got the right to plead the fifth. You can use it as
0: a shield, but you can't use it as a sword. Correct. Correct. Yeah, exactly right. Awesome. Well, we're going to see what happens. I don't think that maybe it, maybe there could be a, a week or so delay as if it works its way up through appeals. I think he's got 14 days to appeal, I'm not sure. But we'll keep our eye on it. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me today. Yeah. Uh, as I said, you know, we're going to have to <laughs> these next few elections aren't Republican versus Democrat. They're Republicans and Democrats. It's democracy versus autocracy. And, and, and yeah. that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. So I'm not going to ask you about. Other things that I'm sure everyone wants to know okay. about, <laughs> but I because we need to start finding the things that that we can all agree on and discuss.
2: Yeah, and, and I I really do believe that we, if you take a many steps back, you know what we agree upon is vastly more important than some of the things that we disagree on. You know, if you look at you know, look at what's going on in you know, Ukraine and Russia, I mean, look this is this is you know this battle against you know, for the survival of democracy is something that, you know, it it's comes before how we end up governing ourselves under a democracy. We have to have one first. So yeah. I really appreciate your inviting and having.
0: Very me. good point. We will talk soon. We will keep in touch. Okay. Everybody check out the op-ed in the Washington Post by George Conway. It's really, really, it's, it's got a lot of really important information in it. You break down and you simplify what the, what the language means in the Mazar's letter, you know, breaking up, <laughs> Breaking up with the Trump uh, Trump organization on Valentine's Day, which was a nice touch. Oh
2: right, it was Valentine's <laughs> Day.
0: Good cash. We we called it a Dear Dawn letter, and uh, it uh, didn't go well for for that family. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much, George Conway. Appreciate your time. Great, thanks. Bye bye. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey everybody, it's AG again. And this segment of the Beans is brought to you by All Form, which is an incredible company that crafts high quality, customizable furniture for your home. They create premium furniture tailored to meet your specifications, and then they ship it to your doorstep free of charge and fast. You can design your own luxury furniture, use it with all form, using premium materials with a fraction for a fraction of the price. Now, I chose a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather, and I could never have a leather couch with cats and pod pets. But because it's spill-stained and scratch-resistant and has a forever warranty, I said, why not? So far, it's working out great. It's got walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge. It's comfortable and stylish, and I love it. All form ships fast as well. It arrives in the mail in just five to seven days. Regular stores can take 12 weeks to six months for couches right now. So this is amazing. And it's all easy to assemble. No tools are needed. You can choose from armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. And you can start small and add more later if you want, if you get a bigger house or your family grows. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it, which is more than three months, as you know. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No weird restocking fees or anything like that. And again, like I said, a forever warranty so you don't have to worry about it. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com/dailybeans. And allform is offering 20% off all orders, 20%, that's huge. For everyone who's listening to this show at allform.com/dailybeans. Everybody welcome back. It's time for the good news. All right, Monday. Good news is best. Good news, isn't that right, Dana? It is indeed. See, see how I wasn't sleeping on the job that time. Yeah, like, yeah, it was I... a very
1: clear cue, very clear cue <laughs> that it's my turn to speak.
0: <laughs> so, I have to tell you, uh, my good news. First of all, if you have any good news, corrections, pod pet picks, anything you want to send us, what things you're crafting, give us your website so we can send people there. Whatever it is, a, a small business in your town that's struggling, I would love to hear about that. Especially black owned businesses. Send me that information. We'll give them a shout out. Wooby stories, lovey stories, love those. Send those as well. You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. But first, Dana, I have to tell you something that happened to me this morning when I went out to my car. It was about seven thirty this morning, mm-hmm. and there was a note in my not on my windshield, but in my on my driver's side window, like kind of stuck into the you know where the window cranks down. And it says on the front, "A note for you" in really beautiful handwriting. And I turn it over, and there's It says, from your neighbor, Jess. And then there's a little, it's sealed with a little green jewel, like somebody took some time. So I opened it up, and there's this beautiful drawing of a a poinsettia that she did herself with a a jewel in the middle. And each petal has a letter on it, and the, the letters spell kindness. And it says on the right, dear neighbor, by being yourself, you put something wonderful in the world that was not there before. Edwin Elliott. And that's all it said. That is awesome. It brought a little tear to my eye, like, because I was looking like a nice parking job asshole or get your fucking car out of my way or something. Totally. What is the typical thing that is left on your windshield or on your window? I love that. Angie, and so that's now, awesome. Diane, who's a listener, has, has sent me, um, she does this. She, she's a photographer and she makes these beautiful note cards and she sent me a whole packet of them. And now I know what I'm going to use them for. Dana, nice. I'm going to write notes and put them on everyone's cars. I love it. All right. So that's my good news story. Do you want to take the next one? I'm happy to. We're going to kick off with
1: Roberta, Pronounce she and her. My daughter shared one of your podcasts three years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. Your news articles keep me informed, and your good news keeps me sane as I continue to live in this small COVID world made smaller by my deteriorating hip. Oh. But I got a new one on Valentine's Day. Best Valentine's Day ever, right? I'm inspired to send in my own whoopee. Meet Ted. My mother bought him while I was still quote baking in her tummy sixty nine years ago. He was generously shared with my five younger siblings and finally ended up in a box of stuff in the quote back room, tattered and all four limbs devoid of the original straw stuffing. I rescued him while in my twenties, I rehabbed his limbs. He's been I like how you rehabbed his limbs and now you're rehabbing one of your limbs. There's something to be said about that. He's been with me ever since. Gracing my kindergarten classroom, where my students respectfully let him be in our library nook. I'm now retired, and Ted lives with our memorabilia from my childhood. Thanks for all you do to keep us informed. And look how cute
0: (sighs) Ted is. You're a teacher too, Roberta. That's amazing. Thank you for that service. These
1: photos are gorgeous. These old photos that have been restored, that one clearly has had (sighs) some restoration in the color. And this Santa this little girl looking up at Santa. Look how sweet. And the little, look at those little pink cheeks.
0: My gosh.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Roberta. That is a fantastic story. And I that hope is. you heal quickly. I hope your new hip, because we're reading this after Valentine's Day, is doing well.
0: Yes. Yes. Much, sending out the healing vibes to you. Thank you so much for that submission. Next up from anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beanie Babies. Thursday's submission from Anonymous, who, along with other knitters, raised the jaw-dropping amount of money to feed the hungry, was amazing. I am in awe, Anon. You and your fellow crafty types are the best. Dana, I think, I think you were out that day? No. No, you were here. Okay, I read it sorry. with you. You and I were like, how many millions of meals? That's right. That's right. I couldn't remember. Oh, that's right, because Thursday's show, Wednesday. You know what? Forget it.
1: It's alright, I got you, boo. I got (laughs)
0: you. Thank you. Anyway, she, she goes on. Anonymous goes on. It made me think I wanted to share my own very small in comparison thing. Recent project. It started Thanksgiving weekend after I'd cooked for a non-existent army and only had like five people come to dinner. I had so much food and no interest in leftovers. So I decided to package it all up and take it downtown to Salt Lake City and see if we could give a few people a warm meal. We ended up with about two dozen meals bought a case of water and threw in the leftover full-size candy bars we had bought too many of for Halloween. (laughs) Nice. We passed them all out and wished we had more to share. First picture attached. I decided I had to do it again. The first week in January, I made a gigantic pot of chili, gigantic pots, excuse me, plural of chili and chicken noodle soup. A local grocery store donated soup containers. That's amazing. And we put together bags with cornbread muffins and rolls, granola bars and bottles of water to go with the soup. We ended up with 50 servings and headed downtown again. They were gone in an hour, and again, we were left wishing we had more to share. Last weekend, after a week of stress and anxiety, I decided I need to cook again, so we made a Super Bowl soup, S-O-U-P, soup, there it is, I keep thinking of (laughs) that sketch with uh, Justin So funny. Super Bowl Sunday. This time, it was minestrone and chili, eight gallons of Wow. This time, we got 75 meals. I seem to be increasing by 25 every time. Again, with granola bars, rolls, and water, and this time, fruit. A few people recognized us this time, which made me both very happy and so sad. Again, it was gone in an hour. Pics of just how big the pots of soup and chili were. We now have dozens of friends wanting to help the next time we do it. And I guess it's become a monthly ritual. I know it's not solving the systemic problems of the unhoused, but at least I can give someone a hot meal and maybe a little bit of hope and love. Oh, I do love (sighs) our people. Look at this. Whoa! I know. Dude, this is a whole, this is a... This is awesome. This is a project. This is a... Wow. I love a good Yeti put to use. I know, me too. Anonymous, this is wonderful. Thank Spots you. pots are this. huge. I huge know. pots. I know. This is an awesome. operation, right? Oh my god! Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Karen and Eugene, pronoun she and her, dear fellow Leguminati. My good news is that I'm currently on a Zoom call for members and PCPs in the Democratic Party of Lane County. Uh, I've taken the advice from the recent How We Win guests to focus locally. Nice. We'll started door knocking and campaign organizing soon. Tonight, we endorsed a bunch of diverse and awesome candidates for city, country, and state race. Excuse me, city, county, and state races. I've decided to adopt a city council candidate who's running against a Republican candidate with a history of yuckiness. Mm. Action really does decrease anxiety. I'm feeling much better now that we have goals to get out votes to help people and the environment. Listening to The Daily Beans and Muller, she wrote has kept me informed and motivated through the pandemic, so I can step back into action now that we're unmasking. Attached is one of my favorite motivational pictures for pet tax, I include Crema, who likes to chill out during the moments when the sun comes out from behind the Oregon clouds. And I can only assume if it's Oregon Clouds, and I'm not exactly sure where Crema is located, but there's a Crema Pinot Noir. That's one of my favorite. Like medium-bodied red wine. So if it is Cremant, I'm not mispronouncing it, I do hope it's from wine country. That dog is beautiful.
0: I'm going to have to check that out because I love a good Pinot. Oh, yeah. And then this, if you think you're too small to be effective, you have never been in bed with a mosquito. Yeah. I love that. Bet, Reese. And that's beautiful. I love the painting. Thank you for sharing that so much, Karen. Next up, from an anonymous nurse. I am terribly embarrassed about this, but had to share it anonymously with you. There's a segment on the beans. What is the word? What does it mean? Schroeder for you? Shockers for you? Something about Freud? The irony outweighs my embarrassment. I mishear the lyric every day when I listen. I started to look it up. but I thought I'd try to hear it from you first. Oh my God, hilarious. It's schadenfreude. The lyric is schadenfreude, unless it's good news is on the way. And that is a that is a German word and and much like german words where they just shove words together like Farficknugan or tipflure kirkter flussigkeit they they do that they just put jam a bunch of words together and make a new word it means to get joy out of other people's pain schadenfreude s-c-h-a-d-e-n-f-r-e-u-d-e and the musical clip i believe is from avenue q if i'm not mistaken Anonymous nurse goes on to say, I've attached a few assignments that my nine year old daughter is turning in. She's in the fourth grade. We live far away from the Capitol and politics. Our D.C. is a beautiful, close knit community filled with culture. She's growing up with children of all different backgrounds. I wish every child had this opportunity. My kids are growing up to celebrate differences, exhibit kindness, learn about culture, etc. And see through Trump and people like him. So let's see. Record information on your topic. Listen, source one, Donald Trump takes people out of their apartment. Source two, Donald Trump lied about giving money to charity. Source three, Donald Trump is jealous. (laughs) What is a news topic you want to report about? I wish to write about how COVID has impacted the Tokyo Olympics early this year. Oh, good one. Research question. How has COVID-19 affected the Tokyo Olympics? That's perfect. And then another one, uh, I wish to write about politics. Research question, who is Donald Trump's greatest enemy? Ah, It's me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Thank
1: you for oh that. Those God. are wonderful. So good. That was awesome. All right. This is from Betsy, Pronounce she and her. I love that we have so much good news on a Monday. Hi, Beans Queens. You mentioned crafting and I want to mention my craft. I am a quiller. Quill, now T. I I fold, twirl, roll and glue paper together to form interesting shapes on cardstock cards, painted wood, and jewelry uh, bezel. Yeah, I think so. Bezel. I've been doing it for about three years since a neighbor taught me. I have a lot of gifts, but also sell my work here. There'll be a link in the newsletter. Is that what we call it?
0: Yep. And it's just etsy.com slash shop slash Betsy Quilling. There you go. I don't have a pet, but I spend uh, time each weekend with puppy Lena
1: who has far more energy than any dog should and loves to play fetch, but she won't actually let you have the toy you're supposed to be throwing. It's a combo of -of tug-of-war and fetch. Here's a picture of her admiring her reflection in a glass picture frame. Look how beautiful
0: quilling is. Mm -hmm. Betsy has sent me some of her work. I have a piece of, I have a jewelry bezel uh, that she sent me. I have a necklace, a couple actually and she's she's made some really beautiful like a shadow box uh, quilling for me it's she's absolutely marvelous oh my god look at the dog Uh, (laughs) Ah. so funny looking at the reflection she's so cute lena okay and, and that's so funny, too, the play fetch. I'm, I'm very familiar with that. They, they, they bring the thing back and then they won't give it to you. Yeah, to drop
1: it. it. There's a lot of drop it going on.
0: Drop it. it. Go, leave it. Leave it. Leave yeah. it. And drop it. There's a great cartoon. It's just two panels and it's the dog with the thing in its mouth. And it says, no take. And the second one, only throw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, Betsy. Um, next up from Anonymous, they and them. Dear A.G.D.G.A.C. and the rest, I must confess, the term "wooby" isn't one I was familiar with. Maybe it's because I'm old. I know about blankies and stuffed toys, but not woobies. All right, I'll just explain this. I got that. I picked that up from Mr. Mom, the movie, the 1984 or whatever movie with Terry Garr and huh. Keaton. It's time to talk about your wooby. No. Okay. I don't know where I got it from. Huh. Yeah, that's where I picked it up. Anyway, they say. My second nephew had a little seal puppy that he called Jonique. I have no idea where he got that name, but he was devoted to that seal. It started out as a beautiful white and seal and ended up deep gray with barely any stuffing left, but loved enough to become real. When that precious nephew grew up, his first son became attached to an enormous red blanket. Honestly, I have no idea how he managed to carry that thing around. It was at least a double, but I think it was queen size. That was my whoopee. Mine was a big queen size quilt. He dragged it around the house all the time and in one corner was always in his mouth. Truly disgusting. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was due to shredding or chewing or swallowing or a combination of effects. The time I last saw it, that enormous blanket had become a tiny scrap of fabric, literally the size of my two hands spread out. They're not that shape. And he still wouldn't let go of it. I think he was five or six by that time. Just marveled and told myself he was giving his immune system some good stresses. Dana, thank you for helping. Thank you for the heaping helping of dirty jokes. My pleasure. For PodTax, here's a picture of the pet of an online friend. His name is Little Dog. I hope you admire him as much as I do. Look at the little Sheltie. Oh, Oh, so sweet. Look at that face. Fabulous hair. My gosh. I know. Thank you so much, Anonymous. Nice stuff. That was good stuff today. Yeah, so much kindness. Y'all are so kind. I'm off to write my notes and stick them on cars. Do it. And uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: I do. Speaking of kindness, I decided when I don't have my own final thoughts, I like to do a lot of Instagram scrolling because I'm on Instagram and I find quotes that inspire me. So today my final thoughts are, you can be a kind person and still say no to what disturbs
0: your inner peace. Yes, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Thank you for that. I love your idea for final thoughts. Now you will always have one. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Instagram. Everybody will be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants,